Hey everyone, welcome to Women Wide for Wellness. I'm your host, Dr. Nisha Chalam. Today I am really excited to talk to one of my colleagues and friend, Dr. Achina Stein. She is a psychiatrist and you know, we haven't actually spoken much about mental health in this podcast, but this was so important. She's the author of the book, What If It's Not Depression? Now, those of you who struggle with what we call apathy, a feeling of depression, but you know it's not depression, but you feel there's something else going on, this is the conversation you want to listen to. Most folks who have depression go to their primary care a lot of time a lot of times they are given a medication to boost their mood and temporarily a lot of people do feel some relief but very soon you come back to your primary care saying you know it was great for a moment but I still now I'm still having this kind of depression and you get an increase in your medication or you get a new medication added but what if your condition is not depression at all. What if the treatment was all wrong? How do you get to know that? Well, this conversation is going to give you a different way of thinking like all our podcasts do. So remember, this is not medical advice. This is really helping opening you to a new information or new way of thinking. And as always, make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel, share our podcast, download it, so we can continue to bring this amazing content to you as the patient to make you a smarter patient and make us better physicians. So we work together to change the system. So once again, without any further delay, let's listen to my conversation with Dr. Chino Stein. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Women Wide for Wellness. I'm your host, Dr. Nisha Chalam. Today, I have a very interesting um, guest. I've been wanting to talk to her for a long time, and she's a colleague and friend, Dr. Achina Stein. And she's an osteopathic physician, but she's also a psychiatrist. She's a board certified psychiatrist. And she's been practicing for 25 years. Here's why this is important. Normally, I I mean, being an internist, I worked with psychiatrists, probably um, 50 to 60% of my patients have seen a psychiatrist for either depression, bipolar, or anxiety disorders, particularly anxiety. And one of the things I remember the role of a psychiatrist was to change their prescriptions, add more newer medications. And they would see a therapist in the psychiatrist's office. And it it just blew my mind that despite years of therapy, my patients still needed to be on medicines. So one of the reasons I am um, really having this conversation with Dr. Achina is she has a very different approach, which is why she gets on this podcast because the focus is wellness, not management. That's why we're wired for wellness. How do you get to be well and not manage your anxiety for the rest of your life on medications? And really one of the, um, you know, I was just talking to her before we started recording. 
we were a part of an accountability group um, in our something to do with functional medicine. And I remember she was talking about a patient's um, feeling disorganized or something was going on in their brain and how to bring organization. She was talking about a square dance. I can't remember. I don't know if you remember that particular conversation we had. And I said, a psychiatrist talking to a patient about how they can dance. I mean, that and if somebody has gone to a psychiatrist, you know, that doesn't happen in a regular <laughs> psychiatrist's office. So I am really uh, excited to talk to you about this. So let's begin by um, giving the audience a, a feel of your background, you know, from a traditional osteopathic psychiatry to your journey as a functional medicine. First of all, why did you choose psychiatry? Well, we're going back many years, Nish. <laughs> I know, <laughs> I know. Many, many years. We're talking about 30 years ago, so, or 34, actually. So yeah. I graduated from medical school in 1990. What's interesting is that every everything that I learned in medical school, I loved. I wanted to do every rotation, yeah. go into it with excitement, but it just, it wasn't the thing that just made things click for me. And, you know, it was, it was actually a struggle for me to get to medical through medical school because of the way I thought about things mm. in, in medical school, they teach you to think very black and white. Right. And there's like only one answer. <laughs> and if you remember, it was always multiple choice exams. And so I could find a reason why every single answer could be correct. Yes. So I would mull over it, but Gina, what's the best answer? It's like, but it depends. Yes. It depends on this and it depends on that. If I had a patient with this and it would be A, and if I had a patient with that, it would be B, right? Yeah. So yeah. I never, so I, I always struggled with that and psychiatry, it, it really clicked for me because you have to think in gray. <laughs> I'm a gray area thinker. I could see solutions on, depending on, on, on what's going on in that person's particular life. And but is that how psychiatry is? Because I didn't think it was gray. When well, well, okay. I'm a dinosaur because I learned, you know, psychotherapy. Psychotherapy yeah. was a major part of my training mm. and we were taught how to do psychotherapy. We were taught how to interview in a compassionate way. Um, we were um, actually tested on that as well. Mm -hmm. So um, there used to be a time where psych psychiatrists had to do psychotherapy so things have changed a lot since then. And it's, I think it's a, a huge disservice to our field by not requiring that anymore. And I really think that um, it, it, even if you choose not to do psychotherapy, it has made me a, a really good diagnostician because I understand the layers of the mind as well as the layers of the body, mm. you know, through functional medicine. So functional medicine, I got like that because it's all these layers, right? You have to change the way you think about things yeah. um, completely. So in my opinion, a psychiatrist is well-trained to be able to get the history that a functional medicine practitioner would get uh, because it's so, so much in line with uh, how we glean information uh, from the patient, from a psychiatric standpoint, but it's the same, it's the same method from a physical standpoint. And so, um, 
so it it, it was it, I just got it. And so when I was in you know fourth year, it was actually my last rotation and as a fourth year medical student. And I chose family medicine because I just didn't know what else to do. And then when I did my psych rotation, it's like this is it. <laughs> this is where I belong. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. So yeah, it was easy for me to it it just clicked for me. Yeah, yeah. that's that is very interesting um, because I remember. Um, the first few years of residency, um, we actually had a video in the room with the permission of the patient to see how we spoke to the patient. And we would be, um, I, I had to watch the video again and see like, you know, times like we say things like, oh, uh, you're a type two diabetic, you will be taking metformin. And all of that was Greek to the patient had no clue what diabetes is. And so it, it was a very different time. Right. when as physicians, we were really um, graded and really taught that there is a specific conversation. And I don't think that's been continued. So that's interesting that you said, um, you know, you, right. you were asked to interview in a very compassionate way. And the other part that is also very interesting about the psychotherapy, because I clearly remember this, this was not so many years ago, it's probably about six, seven years ago, I did speak with a psychiatrist. And every time I spoke about, I would pick up the phone and say, hey, this particular patient is having an issue. Um, the only answer I would get, let's adjust the lamicta, let's adjust, uh, downgrade this, let's do this. And I'm like, no, she's telling me a lot of stories that I feel like something more, we have to delve a little deeper. And that's when I realized, the psychiatrist is only job is to make sure that the medicine doesn't kill you right. and adjust it to the point where you're able to be functional, but the therapist gets to talk to you. And then we have this new rule where your internist, your primary care, you can sign documents saying, don't share any of my therapy notes with my primary care. Right. So suddenly I was disjointed from my patient and really her medical issues or his or her medical issues is connected to the strength right. of the mind. So what speaking to how that is different for you now that you practice functional medicine and how did you make that transition? What, what was the um, bugging point? Like, you know, you knew you had to do something different because you have a private practice at this point. You're not right. working for right. an organization. Well, you know, actually, I, even before I did functional medicine, I was a very different doctor than most doctors. I was one of those doctors that refused to do 15 minute med checks. Yeah. I thought that, to me, and I feel like that's negligence because there's so much I need to know and I can't yeah. do it in 15 minutes. It's just, there's just too much going on and I need to, I needed more time. And so um, I would spend, all, so I was trained um, also under the approach of the biopsychosocial approach um, by Dr. Paul Fink, he's a psychiatrist. So in my day, it was extremely important to look at the biology, the psychology and the social aspects and combine the two. And so since that time, there have been psychiatrists that have become just psychopharmacologists. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so I guess it depends on where you got trained as to whether and how important um, psychotherapy was to you. And I was actually on a psycho, I was planning to be a psychoanalyst. Mm -hmm. I'd gotten on the psychoanalytic track. I had three attendings that 
supervised me for psychoanalysis and that was what I was going to do. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, I rarely prescribe medications already. And I came off that track because life got in the way and I had two children and two little kids and it was just too hard to do both. It's like, okay, I got to get a job. <laughs> I'm gonna get... So I started working in a community mental health center. And, but I always had that approach of talking about everything that was going on in that patient's life and, and coordinating and seeing how, how much of this was psychological, how much of this was biological and, uh, and, um, and how much of this was social, you know, yeah. they're, they're in the environment that's being affected by people around them and their circumstances. So obviously in a community mental health center, you know, the, these are people who are poor and they don't have a whole lot going on in their lives or, you know, they have difficulty working or they have family issues, toxic environment. So, you know, it's really, uh, it's looking at all of those layers. So I was already doing that. Mm -hmm. And my initial evaluations were already an hour and a half. That was another thing I insisted on. So I would really get a lot of detailed information. That was just the way I operated before mm -hmm. functional medicine. And there were times where I would get stuck seeing patients and like stuck is like, you know, like, why is this happening? Why is that going on? I would always have these questions and try to figure out the answers. And it wouldn't, it just didn't come. I just didn't have the answers. And I started looking into integrative medicine alternatives, you know, look, and that was when integrative and complementary medicine was was getting to be really more popular and more acceptable and going to conferences where they, they would, they would talk about those things. And so I actually thought about doing a program out West with Andrew Weil. Um, but because of the kids, I chose not to. And, um, and around the same time, my son had a mental health crisis. So here's a psychiatrist who has a son at the age of 14, who actually became becomes acutely depressed and suicidal mm. and standing on a fifth floor ledge ready to jump mm. and that like overnight and it's like oh my gosh what is going on here and and the thing that i you know the thing that was about him that made without besides it being just overnight the thing that didn't make sense to me was all of the neurological symptoms that were going on as well, you know, mm -hmm. so I, I always I always think about if if I didn't have the neurological symptoms to make me think there's got to be something else going on. I wonder if I would have <laughs> become a functional medicine doctor. It was that piece. He couldn't read mm -hmm. anymore. He just couldn't read. And that year, I mean, I so you know, at that year, you know, we, I took him to a traditional psychiatrist, he got on meds, he was on three or four medications, because he couldn't sleep, he was anxious, depressed, you know, he got a little bit better, but he wasn't my son anymore. And, and he couldn't read. So that year, we had to put all of his textbooks, textbooks, on audiobooks, we, mm. well, we, had, we got the audiobooks of the right. textbooks, that, uh, and so that he could continue with school. And, um, but that was the piece, like something else is going on and nobody was able to help me. And that's when I started digging. Mm -hmm. And it was because of that, that I found a functional medicine practitioner in our, a, a physician, MD physician. And uh, I asked actually to shadow him because I was just so fascinated with him. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I did, and his, his name is Ed Levitan. He has a practice called five journeys in, uh, in Newton, Massachusetts. And, um, he, at that time, his practice was uh, Visions Healthcare, and, 
and I, I, you know, shadowed him was so kind for him to allow me to do that. And I thought, Oh my gosh, I have to bring my son here. Mm -hmm. And so long story short, he, he basically went through the whole five R's of, you know, of removing, replacing, re-inoculating, repairing and rebalancing. And um, he was able to come off all of his medications, all of his symptoms remitted. And we learned that the reason he couldn't read anymore is because his his, uh, extraocular muscles were inflamed, Mm. causing double vision. So that took like, that took about two years to go away. Wow. So, yeah. uh, I mean, when you say the five R's, people who are listening to this for the first time, um, what would you say was really, obviously there was testing that was involved. Right. And uh, what did the testing actually show? And what is the five R as a solution? So he had uh, food sensitivity testing and it showed um, that he had very high uh, numbers, IgG sensitivity. Uh, which is for food sensitivity, IgE is food allergies. Um, so he had high levels for dairy, soy, and gluten. So that's a problem, basically. Yes. Oh, um, so just what's interesting is that when you, you think your kid's healthy, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but this kid had lifelong <laughs> constipation, lifelong, lifelong eczema, and this is a kid who would be on the toilet for a half an hour and everybody's waiting for him at the restaurant, yeah. uh, uh, you know, sitting on the toilet like a bird. And, and, and um, the eczema was so bad that when he was four years old, I would tell him he was part dinosaur because he was so into dinosaurs. Mm. And so that's how, how he Skin. looked like a reptile. I mean, so, and he thought that was really cool. He was like, Oh, part dinosaur. So, you know, it's, it's, it was really, um, And that was just what we thought was his normal. That was just the way it is. You know, you're going to put lotions on your hands. You're going to get, you know, his pediatrician wanted us to put him on laxatives, which I would just, we weren't going to do that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but what's interesting is that when we pulled those foods out, those were the things that cleared up the fastest within a month gone, the eczema Mm -hmm. and the constipation was gone. And, um, and that was his buy-in, which was interesting. And this is a kid who ate only white food. Yeah. Yeah. Only white food, no vegetables. He would have popcorn and rice, tons of rice, pasta, tons of pasta, cheese, milk, tons of milk, like only white food, no vegetables, uh, except maybe broccoli. Actually, all three of my kids would eat just broccoli with cheese on it. And, and that was it. Uh, my other kids would eat more vegetables, but he, he just wouldn't. And so, so yeah, it, that was the thing that got ba- better, but he, he definitely had um, um, issues with his gut and he'd always had issues with his gut. Um, but, you know, again, we thought that was his normal. And so we cleared up the gut by removing the foods, removing uh, some of the pathogens that were found. I don't remember what they were specifically mm-hmm. for me to tell you. Um, um, and uh, so foods, we remove foods, infections, toxins, stress. So stress was also a big thing. He had mm-hmm. you know, a lot of you know, social issues at, at that age, which is really yes. And, and, um, 
And then we replaced what was missing, all of those nutrients, because he doesn't eat any vegetables. So he started to eat vegetables. He, like I said, he got, he had buy-in right from that, the, from the beginning because of the clearing up of the constipation and the eczema. Mm -hmm. um, so eating lots of vegetables, we started off with shakes, green shakes, and he, his protein green shakes, and he would do that. And um, re-inoculating the gut microbiome, you know, with probiotics, and then repairing the gut lining, um, and rebalancing. He was in psychotherapy, you know, to talk mm -hmm. about some of the social issues, you know, that might have triggered that. I think what really triggered it for him, because, you know, because he's had the ex uh, eczema and the constipation from such a young age, he was inflamed all of those years, mm. and the, so it was puberty that triggered. So there's yeah. always this trigger. It was puberty. So that it happened during puberty because uh, because that's such a remodeling of the body that that takes a huge load on. It's a huge load on the immune system. Mm -hmm. So the body goes tilt when those kind of things happen. And so that's why it happened then. Got so it. So he did very well. He did yeah. very well, especially because he had buy-in. He was gung-ho to make the changes and yeah. so so the depression cleared up very quickly the anxiety cleared up with also the psychotherapy because it was social some of it was social related and the sleep cleared up uh, pretty quickly and you know he's he did really well until college <laughs> yeah. so of course new trigger yes exactly well not just the stress of of college but um but just you know you want to eat what your friends are eating mm -hmm. you don't want to make a big deal about what they're eating yeah. and what you have to eat and he was oh i didn't did mention we found out that he had celiac disease oh, so wow. yeah that's a huge so, one yeah it's a huge one so he was celiacs and um so he would you know he and soy was a huge trigger for him so all of his friends want to go to chinese restaurants so yeah. he would go and he wouldn't make a big deal of it but then it's staying up late at night. So the sleep goes out the window, the stress of exams. And uh, so that combination, by the time, uh, you know, he was done with his senior year, he, he was toast. But, um, but he knew, the thing is, he knew what he needed to do to get back mm. on track. And that's the, that's the beauty of it, is learning, learning what you can do to make, get back on track and, and um, the tools that he already, he already had the tools. He right. just needed to implement them. Yeah. So for you, that was a huge why to learn a, a different way of thinking. So how yeah. did it impact your, um, you know, your role as a psychiatrist? Because you were seeing all these patients, you were already spending a lot of time with them. Right. You were actually doing something what most psychiatrists would not do or would have not been taught how to do. How did functional medicine actually shift what you're doing? Because a lot of patients do come and tell me, I love my psychiatrist. I spent so much time. She spent so much time with me, but I still see them on five, 10 medicines and none of their diagnosis change. So right. what, it, what is that shift? Right. That way of thinking actually brought into your career. Um, so I think, well, it, you know, getting the details of the history, because I knew how to do that with the, the, the mental and spiritual pieces of that, because there's also a spiritual component right. that I guess a lot of psychiatrists also don't, don't really include as well. Um, and that's, that's really important. Um, but the, the, getting the history is so important to figure out 
where things went wrong. So looking, finding all of those layers and, and then um, seeing where that perfect storm occurs at that trigger of the immune system where everything just kind of cascades from that point on is really important. So getting that history and connecting the dots for the patient. So it's really important to get the history on a timeline mm -hmm. and then connecting the dots for the patient because then they see it themselves like light bulbs go on, you know, in terms of, oh yeah, that makes complete sense. And then they start remembering other things that kind of collect, connect more dots. Mm -hmm. And so when you do that, that gets the buy-in for the patient. And then they're able to see almost reverse engineer everything that happened. They're more likely to do what's necessary to, to reverse engineer. So that's one big piece. But uh, I, I have, um, I changed the way I think about diagnoses. Mm -hmm. So to me, giving a diagnosis tells you what it is from a specific model. And that model is the conventional model, psychiatric model. But if you think about it, there's lots of models in, in terms in the, in the psychotherapy world, right? There's Freud, there's Jung, yeah. there's Beck, you know, there's all of these models. Why can't we just have more models of a frame of reference, a frame of thinking about it? So it doesn't have to be just this one model in psychiatry. I think we need to look at the limitations of the DSM and also the harm of the DSM. That's the Diagnostic Statistical Manual that has all the listings of all of the psychiatric diagnoses that psychiatrists and therapists get their codes from. Yeah. That, that is really a way to convey information that, that those diagnoses are, are a list of symptoms that a person can have um, that uh, you can use to convey information from one therapist to another, to um, be able to enlist people in research so that you can, you know, you know, um, recruit certain patients with those criteria so that when you do research, you understand, everyone understands who the patient is that meets that criteria. Um, in order to do research and it's validated that way. And the third reason is really, well, the second reason is for billing. You know, billing. I think that was the first, first and foremost reason I always thought. Right. Yeah, for billing. <laughs> and the third reason is for, you know, you know, attaching a pill, a medication to an ill. Okay. Right. So the ill is that diagnosis and there, and obviously there's research done to see, you know, which medications provide uh, benefit, a significant difference, improvement uh, with that, for that person's diagnosis. But when it comes to functional medicine, I kind of, I find that useless and yeah. almost even harmful because, because we're not treating just the head. <laughs> there is a body attached to it. Right. <laughs> oh my gosh. There's and there's something attached. above the head too, which is your, like whatever you're exposed to, the exposome which alters everything. Absolutely. You know, the, there's a fourth reason also, I, I feel like I need to add this mainly because I know you do a lot of prison work and I, I do a lot of jail work. Mm -hmm. It becomes their identity. The number of times patients will come and say, I'm bipolar. Mm -hmm. 
Right. And so I need this medicine. And it just, right. and a lot of times they've been using drugs. I said, were you diagnosed bipolar on drugs or off drugs? Right. Like when you're using, like when you're high, everybody's bipolar. I think if you give me cocaine, I would be bipolar. Exactly. But it's just, it, it, people don't realize that this is not your identity. Exactly. But, but patients do believe, truly believe it's their identity, right? I, so, yeah, unfortunately. So that's when I said that there's harm. Yes. It's because of that, that yes. you actually nailed it right on the head because it, that to me is harmful. And, and so people want to know what they have, have, Yes. but as opposed to why do I have it? And so functional medicine, it, it, that's what we go after is, well, why are, what are the processes that are occurring that created the situation in your body that's connected to your mind and spiritually within this environment, right? right. <laughs> and so the, I don't need a diagnosis that the diagnosis, I want to strip them from that. And if you right. look at it as as your body, this is something going on in your body that is also affecting your brain, mm -hmm. you know, so software and hardware, right? <laughs> you know, then, then, you know, you, you, you don't have to think about a diagnosis. The only purpose really for the diagnosis is to understand you know, which medication to give, but also prognosis on some right. level. I mean, right. it, it does help to, you know, to then know over time how, what to look for down the line and what to watch for in terms of dangerousness, like major depression and, and, and the kinds of dangers of suicidality, obviously. So, right. so it's helpful to have a diagnosis in order to make sure that you can make acute you know, emergency interventions when needed. Right. And, and, um, um, I understand and, where the, right. yeah. where this person would, could be right with the treatment, without right. treatment, whatever it may exactly. be. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So, so, you know, somebody who's been diagnosed bipolar disorder, um, who's had a manic episode and has been hospitalized multiple times for that, you're going to want to be a little bit more careful than someone who's been given a diagnosis of bipolar. And it's like, they're not really like, when you really look at their symptoms, like that's sort of sometimes these diagnoses are given because nobody knows what else to give them. Yeah, yeah, that is <laughs> but, true. And yeah. a lot of people don't realize that we just say, you know, it looks like more like bipolar, or it could be generalized anxiety disorder, right. and it could be right. a combination of two, right, right. And post traumatic stress. And you know, before exactly. you know, you have a list of um, diagnoses because you don't fit into any one particular thing. Right. And that's what we try too hard to do is to put people in these holes and try to fit them in there. And so people get very frustrated when they're given a different diagnosis every time they're seen. Yeah. And so, oh, I've been told that I'm schizophrenia. And now I'm told I'm major depression with psychotic features. And now I'm told I'm schizoaffective disorder bipolar type, which is it? Yeah. And, and then, it, and then, oh my gosh, what really kills me, we were actually trained, I had fantastic training, but there was one thing that now I think, oh my gosh, I can't believe we, we were told this, that if you have three to five diagnoses, you know, on axis one, I don't know if you're familiar with axis one, which is the primary diagnosis, axis two is personality disorders. Yep. Um, axis one, if you have five diagnoses, then it must be axis two, which is a personality disorder. <laughs> 
you know, and it's, and that's just so not true. <laughs> so when, a, when a person gives me, tells me that they they have a particular diagnosis, I go to, well, show me the money. I mean, really tell me what symptoms you're actually having. Right. When did you have them? Give me the, and sometimes people come and say, I, I have OCD when they really don't. So they self-diagnose a lot of right. the time. So, <clears throat> yeah, because people are so focused on what do I have? What do I have? And so I try to move away from that and focus on the why and, and ultimately. And also how probably, right? Mm -hmm. The evolution and the how. And the like how. Not only the, yeah, and the how. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. So, yeah, yeah. you know, ultimately what I do is I start, I really just focus on the gut because everything does start in the gut. You know, 80% of the serotonin that your brain needs is made in the gut. You know, yeah. there's. So go ahead. So if I can ask you this question, because this is important. When you look at the CDC, when they put out the stats, they say 67% of Americans are depressed and only less than 50% take medications for it, mm -hmm. right? Truthfully speaking, if you applied functional medicine, like you said, you know, you're working from the inward outward, like from your gut, the connection to the mood, um, what would actually be the percentage of people having true psychiatric disorders? What would you, I don't know if there's been a study out there in functional yeah. medicine, but would you say like with the amount of resolution people can get, what would you right. say is the true percentage? Um, well, you know, it depends on how they got that statistic, first of all, right? So right. I mean, so I, I think, I think if they did, um, survey kind of a thing, yeah, like, a, right. what was that the PHQ nine, yeah. you know, that primary care physicians are to yeah. do, uh, and then if they've used that, then I, I would say a lot of people, um, <laughs> would come up positive on that in a primary care physician's office, because it is skewed to try to screen that and apply medication, right? Mm -hmm. So um, if they use the Hamilton depression scale, that that I think is a little bit longer and, and a little bit more um, specific for, for specific symptoms. And that's probably a better indicator. But that being said, I mean, my I'll, t I'll just speak about my experience, right, that many people are given a diagnosis of depression. Um, and it may not necessarily be a specific major depression diagnosis or dysthymic disorder diagnosis, which is more chronic depression. Um, because they're presenting in such a way that they're not feeling well. And um, they might have brain fog, insomnia, fatigue, stressed, um, maybe a little teary, um, um, having, uh, you know, lots of issues that they're just not getting ahead, you know, those kinds of symptoms, they go to their doctor, the doctor, um, you know, might, uh, um, they might do some blood work, and then they'll say, Oh, your blood works all normal, you know, I, you know, you're probably just depressed. And right. here's the prescription, right? <laughs> that, to me, that is not an appropriate person to give a prescription for, you know, uh, because that is the kind of person who could easily get well, um, if, 
if they did a functional medicine approach because they're on the milder side. In fact, the research shows that antidepressants do not work for depression on the mild side. In fact, you have more benefit from exercise. So lifestyle changes automatically, you know, would be would be the, the treatment of choice, in my opinion. So, you know, mild depression is not going to remit at all with an antidepressant. And then there's, you know, you have to weigh the benefits versus the risks. There's lots of risks to this. But oftentimes, the, the diagnosis of depression um, is given and a prescription handed to the person because they're, they don't know what else to do. And they don't have time, right? They don't have time. They might think of referring to a therapist, but then getting into a therapist's schedule. So they want to give something yes. they give put something out the fire. to put out the fire. And I, you know, I personally don't think that that's the most appropriate. I think it needs to be have further investigation in terms of, is this a moderate or severe depression? Is this, you know, they'll probably do screen for suicidality, right. but in a 15 minute session, I'm sorry, most people are not going to say that they're suicide. I mean, I think you need, you just need more time, you know, to be able to really uh, uh, discern what's really going on. And so many times people go home with that prescription and just throw it out. I mean, it's why I wrote my book, right? Yeah. What if yeah. it's not depression? That's, right. that is the, that is the, the person to whom I wrote this book. Yeah, Perfect. just so for the people to understand, the questions your primary care ask is, in the last two weeks, mm -hmm. have you felt uh, hopeless or have you thought about killing yourself? Something to that effect. Yeah. I, I, I don't even ask those questions anymore. But um, you're asking those two questions. And if you say yes to both, you're like screened for depression. Even if you say yes to one, you're depression. And then you get put on a medication. You may be said, don't go see a psychologist and most psychologists are booked for weeks right. um, together. The other part that is very important also in what you say is when somebody is like the borderline mild depression and they actually check um, one of the two tests that we were as internists told to check B12 and thyroid, mm. right? We check both of those. They're within the range. And now um, I'm not even checking T3, T4, none of those, no extensive testing. I put somebody on an antidepressants. Many of these antidepressants actually will create further hypothyroidism because they prevent that conversion to right. the active hormone. And the person actually gets, initially may have a blimp, like, you know, I feel better. And then they become more depressed. Right. And so what you're really saying is, some of these things are not depression, but there are other reasons why your mood is affected. Right. And besides just those two blood tests, there's a little more digging deep that we could get to do. Right. So um, why is it not depression? What, what if it is not depression? What are we missing? Well, I mean, there's, you know, one of the things that the DSM, the Diagnostic Statistical Manual, Manual yeah. indicates is that one of the criteria is, believe it, believe it or not, is to rule out a medical cause. You should not give a diagnosis until all medical causes are ruled out. Right. And, and, you know, that doesn't really happen in, in very much in as, as much as it should. It, you really need further investigation. And I think the difference between the conventional world is that there, there's like five tests that are drawn yeah. and, and, um, and there's not enough clinical history to figure out what else it could be. 
Um, but there's all of this other tests that could easily been, be done, but they're just not to mm -hmm. rule out a medical cause. So there's lots of things um, that can cause inflammation in the body. You know, so I've just from getting a clinical history, I've been able and for people who've been had major depression, I, I have been able to say, I think you have Lyme disease, mm. just because of the history, you know, <laughs> you know, and because of digging and digging and digging, and no one's tested them for Lyme disease, and then they get tested and voila, they have Lyme disease. So you know, mold toxicity can cause us very severe depression mm -hmm. and, um, and anxiety. So the, uh, having a C. diff infection, C, a Clostridia difficile infection, infection can cause not only depression, anxiety, but also psychosis, you know, because it inhibits dopamine beta hydroxylase, an enzyme that converts dopamine to norepinephrine. So dopamine goes up, 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 and norepinephrine you know, is, is, is not made. So there are nutritional deficiencies. So the way our, the way our, which society, we don't check for, I mean, which we, don't don't check for. we don't check for any of these things, whatever you said, right. Uh, in fact, Lyme's is not even a disease in traditional medicine, right? <laughs> right. Mold toxicity, forget about it. That, that right. doesn't exist. So right. you're really looking at um, something that is not, mainstream and will never be done in mainstream um, right. medicine. Um, because again, there is the genetic interaction with your environment. And I don't think as physicians, what right. I, and a lot of us in functional medicine, we realize the more we know, there is more to know. Exactly. Right. Oh right. my but whereas in traditional, <laughs> traditional medicine, it's a box. Like you said, there are several models. So we choose a model. This has been my way. And I just, the only thing I'm getting updated on is the newer surgeries and the newer drugs. Right. I'm not getting updated on the, a different way to look at this disease process. Right. So yeah. what you're bringing is what other sources are there that can be actually addressed, reversed, so not only we're managing the disease, we're actually trying to eliminate this condition. Correct? Right. Am I getting well, that yeah. right? I mean, there's, there's, I mean, there is complementary medicine techniques, you know, I mean, there's psychiatry. There is a, um, actually a group uh, associated with the American Psychiatric Association that does complementary psychiatry. There's a new field called nutritional psychiatry, you know, so treating But that should not be complimentary, that should be that should be the way. Oh, yeah, that should you be the way. Yeah. Why is it right? complimentary? It's not complimentary. It shouldn't be that should yeah. be the way it really... medicines should be complimentary. Right, right. Medicine, when all this fails, we add medicine. Yeah, right. So medications, in my opinion, should be a last resort. I still prescribe medication. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, totally. it's, it, it, but it should be a last resort it should be given to people who are acutely psychotic acutely manic acutely depressed and and um uh, unable to function or at are in danger of right. harming themselves or others you know and sometimes you require they require hospitalization so there have been situations where i've um you know uh, people don't want to be on medications and right. it's like you know what, we're at a point where we really need to be having you on medications because, and, but I'm able to explain why, you know, and it's always the benefits versus the risk. So, you know, if you're able to explain why, you know, you, you know, you need to be able to take these medications in order so you, for you to function, but also be to be able to do the work that's necessary 
because me, you know doing functional medicine is work on the patient. They have to make changes. So right. so sometimes something's going on in the gut that's taking really long time for us to to rectify and and bring back into balance. And so you know those are that would be a time to take medication. So so you know a major root cause is just inflammation in the body. So autoimmune yep. you know autoimmune. Um, processes cause inflammation, not just for that specific area, but it affects, it does affect the brain. So, right. Right. Yeah. So, so when folks are um, struggling with um, all these multiple diagnoses, um, I think the bigger, this has been me as a primary care, the bigger challenge has been you as a psychiatrist is the professional who can actually tell a patient like you have a diagnosis and how do you actually, like somebody comes to you with like three different diagnoses, right? Mm -hmm. They've had a rough life. And this is something I tell my patients, your life is broken. You're not, Mm -hmm. we just get to use those broken pieces to build something beautiful for the future. But when they come to you and they say you, they have all these diagnoses, how do you help them understand that there's a different way? What What do you think is the biggest stumbling block? for them to realize that this is something that doesn't require just a diagnosis and a medication, but something that they can actually resolve. Do they already come to you with that feeling like, you know, there's a different way or they come to you because somebody referred them to you. And how do you approach somebody who's just like completely clueless that there's a different way? Well, you know, I, I, if someone calls me and they have no idea what functional medicine is, I'll usually have them read my book. You know, mm-hmm. so they can download my book from my uh, website for free uh, as a PDF. Okay. Um, but um, so most people won't come to see me because I don't, I don't, I don't think it's a good idea for them to because it is a lot to understand. Mm-hmm. It's a completely different model, and and it takes a while to wrap your mind around it. So it's, I think it's better to educate yourself first about functional medicine. And then once they, they get it, like the light bulb goes on, it's like, this is exactly what I want to do. I didn't even know it existed. Um, But there's always going to be that person who wants to take medication. And that's the way they want, you know, and that's fine. Yes, it works for them. But there's there are a lot of people who who where it doesn't work for them completely, or they have side effects or, or it poops out and, or they just don't want to be on medication, you know, right, lifelong. So so I am, you know, I, I, I tell people that the diagnoses, they might have a diagnosis at one point in time, and then it might change. People evolve. They're not the static. Yes. They're, this, they're this dynamic person that is evolving over time. Some of those things, unfortunately, you know, like, you know, stimulant medication that are given to children can actually trigger a manic episode antidepressants can trigger a manic episode. So what's unfortunate is that instead of saying, oh, it's a side effect of the medication causing mania, the diagnosis has changed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then a medication is added. That's, that's unfortunate. That's what happens, unfortunately. But because you're using these powerful medications that affect the brain, <laughs> you know, it's changing stuff in your brain. So so, you know, the, but, a, but over time, the diagnosis can change because the person changes and it, it's only a, a cross section in time, but sometimes people do have the same diagnosis over time and it, and they get, you know, better, worse, better, worse, better, worse. So, 
it's it's only a way to convey information. I don't think people should take it as that's their label and that, that is their label. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think that's important. Thing, the other thing I tell people is that, you know, just like a picture is a thousand, it, you know, a picture is um, like it's better than a thousand words. Word, yeah, know. something like that. It's <laughs> something worth, like, worth a thousand yeah. words or something. Yeah, yeah, it's it's like to me, your your diagnosis is gleaned by the information that you provide. Yeah, and, that's and, true. And so as time goes on, I mean, there might be pieces of your history that you didn't provide either because you didn't want to, you didn't trust the person or you, you didn't feel comfortable um, or you just didn't remember, you know, yes. you just didn't remember at the time. And so that's why it's always important to go back to the drawing board. If something's not working, I think it's important for all practitioners, psychiatrists, therapists, whatever, to, to if something's not right, I go back to the drawing boards. Like I, I miss something. There's something you're not telling me or didn't tell me or didn't remember. Uh, and I know, I just know it. And sure enough, <laughs> because there will be something it, that in my mind, up. just like things click. There's, you know, I, I get this sense, like there's a hole here. I don't yeah. know what that hole is, but let's go back to the drawing board. Like if right. something's not clicking, then, then I, you know, I start from the beginning. It's like, you know, you told me this, this, and this, and is there something else going on around this time? You know, and it's like, oh yeah, that's right. You know, so it's, yeah, it's, it's kind of amazing this, you know, to be able to do that. But I think you have to remember that it's only as good as what the patient tells you. And, and so one piece of information can really flip that diagnosis. And, um, and it also is also important for patients to realize this is why every time you see a therapist and a psychiatrist, you're telling the same story, but the person asking the question may ask it a little differently. Right. So, and, and that's, I, I find that too, a psychiatrist did not ask a specific question, did not get a specific answer, but a medical student walked in and it's a completely different story. We've seen that happen several times. Oh, because, absolutely. Yeah, they're asking little deeper questions about this specific condition. So don't get um, tired that you're being asked questions. We're all trying to get to a root cause, particularly when you go to a functional medical doctor's right. office, a big portion of this is in filling that history form or having the chat with the doctor about your evolution. Like you said, I like the word reverse engineer because that's how most things, most problems are solved. Right. Is let's go um, upstream and see what caused this problem to begin with and then rebuild. Mm -hmm. So when patients come to you, what is the percentage of patients who you feel um, like in your small practice? Because you're thinking differently, you're looking for different things. Would you say like 50% of the patients you, you find a different cause that is affecting their mood or is it more? Oh, um, well, I see, I see all sorts of patients, not just, you know, because yeah. I'm like very, there's very few functional medicine practitioners in, 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 in your, yeah, so yeah. I have a lot of people that come to me who don't even have mood symptoms or so <coughs> they have, they, they know what functional medicine is and they like the approach. And I kind of treat a lot of people that come to my practice. So, um, so you know, out of the people um, who I do see for depression and anxiety, you know, I, 
I find that um, if it's if it's a mild depression um, and a mild anxiety, like we talked about those categories, yeah. and it's and it's within the like like say the last couple of years that they've had it, I I find that they have complete resolution of those. Symptoms. That's true. Complete. Yep. Complete yeah. resolution. So it's those people who have significant symptoms of depression and have been like a decade, let's say, um, and they have a significant morbidity of other of their physical symptoms, um, then they take a, a lot longer because a lot of times they might have, uh, let's say, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, you know, or severe IBS or or like I said, an autoimmune process happening. Um, so there, you know, um, so there's there's other conditions um, that can occur. So Lyme's disease with co-infections or um, or um, mold like mold issues. And so it's it's looking for these other things that might be going on that could be impacting on their mood. So when it becomes more severe, and the other piece of it is that is trauma. So yeah. if someone has sig a significant amount of trauma, so I use the ACE score, which is the adverse childhood events mm -hmm. as part of my intake. So, and then, so if trauma is something that absolutely can cause um, uh, a difficulty in, in doing that reverse, because if you're always in fight flight, if you're always hypervigilant, always uh, um, in this place where you are feeling unsafe, Mm -hmm. it's going to be very hard to calm down your, your immune system. Correct. Um, and so th it's those people in that category as well, that it's, it, it's going to take a lot of work to calm their immune system down from a psychological standpoint, because it's, it, you need to be in what we call parasympathetic mode, um, which is the rest, digest and heal mode in order for you to really affect a significant change. So that's when you really want to start with meditation and yoga and, and um, you know, there's all of these other modalities to try to calm down the system. Um, and so I find those are the more, the, 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 the people who have to be in psychotherapy on a regular basis and most likely will need medications uh, in those situations. And they usually come to me on medication already. So but then we do the functional medicine piece, but it's helpful. It's really helpful to, again, lay out all the pieces and let them see how much of an impact that is and what they can do to affect the change. Not that it's not going to be hard. It's going to be hard, but there's so many things that they can do and they're more likely to have buy-in in terms of um, doing meditation on a daily basis and, uh, and, and really working to find meditations that are in alignment with where they are, you know? Right. And so if, it, if, if, if one particular med type of medica meditation doesn't work for them, it's trying to find something that is uh, in, in line with where they are right now. So the, that person that's the energizer bunny, right. Know, right. that can't slow down or, um, you know, I have to look at that can't slow down as not being, not, not, uh, able to slow down because it's protective. They have to keep going because if they did and they were able to be aware of some of their emotions, that would freak them out. So right, right. slowly, like, so slowly, you got to be where they are. You have to be where the patient yeah. is. And feel the onion layer. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yeah. And I think what you're trying to say, which I, if I have to just 
um, simplify the process because from an internal standpoint, you said it first, you said uh, hardware and software. The hardware is how you're wired. And, and in my practice, I call it like the beliefs, biases and bullshit, right? <laughs> the belief is what you are raised with. Um, whatever your parents taught you, your teachers have taught you. The biases are your experiences because this happened, therefore this is how it is. And the bullshit is the story you tell yourself around <laughs> I those that. experiences. I steal that from you. <laughs> right. I love no, that. It is. So what you're trying to do is you have to be ready to change that story. Absolutely. But what you can change is from your experiences kind of alter your beliefs. And a lot of what you do is giving them the tools saying, hey, these are 100 things that have gone wrong or are going wrong, but 80 of them you can actually change, right. which would be your diet, your sleep, your meditation, your relationships, your job. I mean, there's so many things you could actually change, but you it is overwhelming, but you do it step by step. There's 20 things you may not be able to change. We'll get to it after we change this 80 because the whole relationship would have changed and before you know, that journey to illness that you made, we can reverse engineer and make a journey back to wellness. Right. And it's just having that patients identifying. And I think a psychiatrist like you can identify, help them identify where they take their power back, power back to shift. Absolutely. What they can do, right? Absolutely. So I, it, it actually, uh, so from, from a traditional standpoint, once you have a, a, a mood disorder, that's a lifelong label for most people. But from a functional medical approach, you're trying to see, can we temper it down and if possible, get rid of it. And for everybody, that journey looks different. Right. It does. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it, it does. So it, it, is, it is different for everybody. And that's where that's why the treatment plan is going to be, have specific interventions for that particular person. And, and it's matched to their personality as well as where they're at right now. So, you know, people will start in different places based on where, you know, where's the low hanging fruit to start with, right? right? You know, to start there so that they start having successes early on. And that, you know, allows you to keep going because, wow, I did that. Yeah, yeah. they, they yeah. actually change for the first time in their life. They feel in control. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's pretty it's it's pretty amazing. I actually had a patient who who saw me um, for panic attacks, mm -hmm. and um, that was his goal to get rid of the panic attacks. Yes, yeah, yeah. and um, and it was interfering in his ability his ability to do his job. And um, I'm just gonna take a <laughs> absolutely yeah. So what's interesting is that he had a history of. Um, being raised by a single mom, didn't know his dad, and um, and he, you know, just had a very isolated type of childhood and not really connected emotionally to his mother, um, and kind of just went through life and felt sad most of his life. And, and even though he was married and had two children and had, a, you know, a very fulfilling job, um, he still felt really, really sad. And, um, and he just chalked it up like, oh, well, that's just that's just the way it is. I'm never going to feel joy. I mean, he just didn't know what joy felt like. And um, and so we worked to clear up his, you know, did the 
five hours of five five yeah. hours of gut restoration you know through the ifm and uh, uh the institute of functional medicine um for functional medicine is what it's called but so we did the five r's and um and he, his panic attacks went away but a few months later after he was um you know after we did that and you know a few months later he called me up and he said you know i've been experiencing you know a difference in my mood and, and it's like you <laughs> know happy he's finally. Me, yeah he's telling me what he was experiencing and he goes is this joy? <laughs> I think Isn't I'm that experiencing joy? Like he had no expectation of going away. No yeah. expectation. Right, right. Yeah. I, I'm, the, see, that that is so powerful because though that his um, bullshit had a very strong root, right? That's yeah. a story, right. and to uproot that, you needed to make changes to his software. Right. And the program that ran was completely different. Right, right. right. Well, yeah, my experience has been, and, in the, and there's nothing written about this anywhere, and I'm, I'm sure no one's doing yeah. research on this yet. But I, I find that, um, so I do psychotherapy as well with some of my patients, mm -hmm. but I also have obviously a lot of patients that see me for the functional medicine, but they see psychotherapists. Right. And I had one patient who was seeing a therapist for four years, and they kept going around the same loops over and over again, same loops. And then she did her, the gut treatment with me. And she came in one time and said, you know, I'm starting to make connections in my therapy and things are changing. Like I I'm figuring things out. It's all happening. You know, like it was just really, in, you know, yeah. so, yeah. and I see that happen over and over again. You know, I have patients that come in when they start, they're very irritable and angry and frustrated. They have low frustration tolerance. They snap at my poor, poor uh, office manager. And like three to four months later, they're like the nicest person in the world. Like, so personalities change right. just from doing this. It's amazing. It really is amazing. Yeah. So, yeah. And so, and, and it's, and it's like, it, it's like long lasting too. Right. Basically, you're removing clutter. You're removing clutter so they can actually breathe. And most people don't realize when you're piling. Um, it, this this is another. The, I mean, a lot of this, the biases, belief, and bullshit. Obviously, I got it from somewhere. I, I just don't know where, but it stuck <laughs> in my head. But I do have um, a life coach who told me this: Don't frost your shit. Yeah, it's still you can you uh, you flush the shit down, crap down and enjoy the frosting. But most of us frost that. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons I think when you give medication, you're just frosting the shit. Right. <laughs> so it doesn't last. The stink is still going to be there. And right. how do you, um, how do you get to it? And I think a lot of people really need to understand that there is a different way. And as we, you know, I, I'm sure we can talk about this, a long, long time, but I want to just get into that one little thing that everybody talks about people who get into this functional medicine. And you do uh, mention somewhere people get confused about holistic and they take supplements is the big question about the MTHFR, mm. right? There's mm -hmm. a lot in like, oh, I have an MTHFR mutation, therefore I need to be on da 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 da. What has been your approach with that? And would you tell people um, when they have a genetic trait or a mutation, how do you approach that? 
Well, I mean, it, it's important to know um, that specific one, but I, I, you can't put all your money onto one gene. Yeah, <laughs> yes. one gene that's part of this whole system of genes for methylation. So, I, I try to explain that to people that you want to to do more extensive genetic testing and get the whole picture, not just that one gene. Right. So if you do have a SNP, which is a small nucleotide, polymorphism, polymorphism, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm getting tired. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> so it's a, it, if you do have it, certainly you want to make sure that you take a methylated uh, vitamins, mm -hmm. um, folate, and um, probably even B12. Uh, but that's again, that's a different gene. Yeah, the, yeah. But but even so, there might be a, um, a, the ability that you might have that gene that kind of is less efficient in utilizing folate. But that doesn't mean that you are fully deficient necessarily. You right. know, so you want to look at other markers like the homocysteine level to yes. see where you're at in terms of whether or not you actually are, you know, you deficient. know, and or do you need to bypass? Right. That, yes, yeah. Exactly. So I think, and certainly people should not just take methylated vitamins unless they know that. Um, that they have that gene so they need it also i mean the question yes. is do they need it yes exactly because yes. you can actually get over methylated and mm -hmm. cause more problems so you do have to be careful so it's it's not looking at that gene in isolation you absolutely want to look at it in in connection to the, all the other uh genes and snips that you want to you know see and and treat the whole picture not just one piece of it so um I, I often um, get the homocysteine level um, and the methylmalonic acid, which is a marker for B12 yes. um, and, and see how that's connected. But, you know, and that would be just as a screening piece right now um, in the beginning. But ultimately, if I'm really concerned, um, I will do genetic testing. But I don't think you need to do all of that up front. You're right. I, I would treat the gut first. I always treat the gut first. <laughs> um, but I mean, unless they're already, unless they're in this immune overload and they're reacting, 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 you really want to calm down the immune system first because right, treating right. the gut can also cause inflammatory reactions. So you want to calm down the immune system, go through the five R's. And then I use the SNPs um, to fine tune what's going on. Mm -hmm. So, you know, to fine tune certain things, but I often find that I don't need to do that. I used to do genetic testing on everybody. Mm -hmm. I just find I don't need to do that often. And, um, it really is for those people where I'm really scratching my head and like, we haven't gotten anywhere, but I feel like there's plenty, there's so much to do even before that it happens. Got it. Got it. So somebody listening to this conversation has been diagnosed with whatever mood disorder or um, uh, or a diagnosis like depression or anxiety or, um, you know, um, uh, schizoaffective or personality. What would your advice be? And they feel stuck. I think most people who come to doctors like you and me are people who feel there's more. You know, they feel that there is or they've heard from someone else. 
Right. Yeah, what they're not satisfied. You, they're not satisfied with the answers that are that they're given. A lot of but, them. Yeah, and they're not satisfied with where they are in life, right? Right. right. Uh, what would your advice be to them if, like, all of this information is new and overwhelming? Um, what What would you tell them to do? As um, I, besides, I think your book is a great place for them to start. Right. Um, and if you could give us the name of the book again and it's, where they can uh, go to get it. Sure. It's uh, What If It's Not Depression, Your Guide to Finding Answers and Solutions. Um, you can buy it from Amazon Kindle for $6.99 right now. And uh, But you could, if you want to get it for free, you can go to my website at uh, it's Functional Mind. It's www.f as in Frank, xnmind.com. And you can download a PDF of it, but I encourage you to get the Kindle because it's you can you have all the links, hyperlinks in the Kindle mm. version. So then you, I give a lot of resources, and so to me, knowledge is power. It's the reason why I wrote the book. It's for that person who's not familiar with functional medicine and is is not wanting to fill that prescription that was given for many times a wastebasket diagnosis of depression and um, or anxiety. And, and it's really understanding what is going on in the body and how and why. <laughs> and um, so that, that I think knowledge is power. I think you need to educate yourself and be familiar with a different model of approach that works for a lot of people. Yes. Yeah. And, and you feel empowered and you don't feel like you have this label, you know? Be a um, passive, uh, I hate to say passive patient, but you're almost uh, a passive specimen right. um, in your own care. And that doesn't need to be, it doesn't need to be that way. You right. can actually actively participate. In fact, you can drive your care Absolutely. if you have that knowledge. Right. Right. Yeah, and we're uh, partners in your care. So I would, you know, I walk you through what you need to do. It's work. You have to be willing to do the work, but right. there's definitely many rewards. And most people, most of my patients feel better. Um, yeah. With time. So really one of the reasons I do these interviews with other functional medical uh, doctors is most of us have come from the traditional background and we realize that um it has rules, it has regulations, and everybody needs to fit into that rule and regulation. It's just like how the school system does not work for every child. And, um, you know, the financial system doesn't work for every uh, person. The medical system, if the current medical system is failing uh, a person and failing you as somebody who's listening to this, open your mind to the fact that there's a different approach and a different approach which gives you more control, more understanding, and the tools, like you said, your son went off track, but he knows what to do. That's because he's understood his body really well. And for, for, for me, that empowerment of the patient, first of all, enhances our relationship with them. I mean, I look forward to going to work and talking to a lot of my patients, when I see them on the list, I'm like excited because I want to see what new things have yeah. they discovered about themselves. What new things am I going to be able to provide? It's a completely different um, mindset, even for the physician, 
where whereas traditionally what I used to look at my list and I used to sigh at like can I get done with this day because I'm looking at people who are inflicting without their knowledge not to blame them right a lot of pain on themselves and here I have been given just this one tool like you know uh, it's not a nail but I've been given a hammer right that medicine and say this is what you get to take and I'm not succeeding. You're not succeeding. And that difference, I think I want people to really understand. And, and I think you've really given a very, uh, quite a few examples. I mean, somebody who has never understood what joy is, I mean, not even that's tragic, but at the same time, that's a great ending to this journey of discovering, um, what is important to him. Right. That's, that's really amazing. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, then, I, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, he, he, I, I, you know, when people have those experiences then they tell other people, like most yes. of my practice is word of mouth. So <laughs> that's true. Most, most of us, that's, I, I always say 80% of my practices because of patients who talk about, um, you know, our practice to someone else. But is there anything that you wish I had asked you, but I haven't asked you? Um, yeah, you know, I think I I wish that we had a society that embraced new ways of doing things rather than uh, calling it quackery or that doesn't make sense or that's not true or you know or or inva- like just invalidating. There's a, a lot of my patients won't even tell their conventional doctors that they're doing the work that they are with me. Right. Well, <laughs> we're like that clandestine relationship. That I know exactly. <laughs> you know, yeah. which is unfortunate. I mean, I don't. You know, I don't. That's. I don't think that's in their best interest. They should, and I encourage them to. But a lot of them don't want to get into it because then their provider, their conventional provider, you know, basically. Uh, shames them yes you know, and says that they're stupid or you know you're being taken advantage of and things like that but nevertheless they you know I've I've one patient it's like okay that's your opinion I'm getting better so <laughs> yeah and the the, uh, the shame of that is is that they if they do get better then they'll just assume, well, you're seeing a psychiatrist, of course, you're going to get better, you know, so <laughs> and yeah. it, it's not, it's not because it was really happening in your body. That's a shame. So I would, I wish to see a change in, in our system, where we have, uh, you know, people like naturopaths on the front lines, you know, mm-hmm. because naturopaths, what we're doing is naturopathy. I mean, naturopaths, have known to do this work before we did in functional medicine, you know, there's, they should be the front line for the milder, you know, symptoms of depression and anxiety, you know, and, and be the first line. And if I, if I remember correctly, I think Scripps Center is sent this actually in, in San Diego is set yeah. up that way. Yeah. And, um, and then to have, have, um, you know, have nutritionists and health coaches working with you to make lifestyle changes with those naturopaths. And then the next step would be uh, us as functional medicine doctors to, to really handle the more, um, you know, mild, sorry, moderate to severe cases, yeah. you yeah. know, it, it needs to be a team, we all should be working together and using acupuncture and using physical therapy and using osteopathy, cranial sacral, 
in, and being able to refer freely within a system with the goal of wellness yeah. and not just uh, suppressing illness. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I wish, I wish we could see, I hope to see that in the future. And there are models uh, around the country that are moving in that direction. And, um, you know, I, and I just hope someday um, that there's a change in terms of our legislation and our, our food system has to completely change, <laughs> you know. Our a lot of money is involved, right? A lot of money is involved in all of this. And this is also something that I read somewhere. When you, whenever there is uh, human suffering, if you go upstream, there's money involved. So the change actually doesn't come from the system. I don't think any system has actually changed. Mm-hmm. It's individuals like consumer who's consuming, right. uh, who's, I feel, um, to some degree, victims of a system. Mm-hmm. When they their demands change, the system adapts. Absolutely. And so a lot of our uh, the podcast, the reason I do this podcast, this takes a lot of time and money for me. And I do it as a free service because I feel once we educate the consumer to ask the right questions, think a little differently, they will be able to change the system which has trapped us and them. Yes. And um, I I really appreciate you having coming on and contributed to this uh, journey. And, um, you know, if there are any questions, make sure you comment either below the podcast or reach out to Dr. Achina. Um, and what is your website again, Achina, so we can get that? Um, you can Google, you can Google functional mind, or you can go to www.fxnmind.com, fxnmind.com. And um, it's, uh, and I'm trying to think of anything else that you need to know about me and your facebook page do you have like a facebook or a twitter or uh you know i'm because i'm low in staff we we had to sort of not i'm not haven't been posting lately uh, but i do have a functional mind um facebook page facebook page Um, yeah yeah so that's and there's definitely some things coming on the horizon i have an online um group coaching program that's going to be launched soon hopefully very nice uh it's been it's been halted because of covid and lots of other things so um, i'm hoping to be able to provide a online uh uh, course uh, for people who are interested in uh, working with me in that format and uh, so you can keep an eye out for that yeah very nice well, I appreciate everything that you do, Nisha. You're, you're really, um, dis, you're a very uh, um, uh, energetic person. I wish I had your, your energy, and you're just so giving to the community and I, I and, and, and to your colleagues as well as your patients. So I, I, we totally need you to continue to do this and educate people about functional medicine and the work that we do. Uh, don't stop say something more <laughs> just kidding thank you so much i really appreciate that and um well um you know once again thank you very much for listening to us and let us know how else we can help you and thank you so much dr gina okay take care have a good night you too